Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. Tonight looking at, as I said, Numbers chapters 22 through 24. And this is an interesting account of Balaam, a pagan prophet who speaks forth the word of God four times concerning the children of Israel. He also gives uh, prophecy or oracles regarding a few other nations as well in his fourth prophecy. But for the most part, four times speaking blessing over the children of Israel. When he was hired by the king of Moab, Barak, to come and curse the children of Israel. We learned last week that this is year number 40. It's been 40 years since the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. Their parents disobeyed God. Shortly thereafter, was had to spend 40 years in the wilderness until that generation died off in the wilderness. So we're in the second generation. Um, as far as I know, scripturally, the only person left remaining in that first generation is Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. Moses would not be allowed to enter into the promised land, but Joshua and Caleb would because of their faithfulness 40 years earlier or about 30 years 38 years earlier, and yet they are close. In fact, we'll learn that they are going to be set up just across the Jordan River from the city of Jericho. So they are staging here for the entry into the promised land. And yet Moses would spend the remaining of four or five months before his death preparing the second generation of Israel to go into the promised land, reminding them of the word of God and the truths of the word of God. And there'll be battles, there'll be wars in these next few months. As we'll see, there'll be challenges. And tonight we look at one that comes from the king of Moab when he sees the children of Israel and sees their large number and had a great dread regarding them, saying that they would lick up the earth after them like an oxen licks up grass. He hires a pagan prophet. They had to go fetch him from the river. And so whenever the Bible, and we'll get to this, read it from Scripture, but whenever they say the river, they're talking about the Euphrates River, which is over toward Babylon. So they had to travel quite a ways to go get this prophet to bring him back in the hopes that he would curse Israel that the Moabites could be victorious over their enemy so tonight we're going to look at this from Numbers chapters 22 through 24 and Father we pray your blessing upon us as we look into your word a lot of scripture I pray Lord that we would glean from the passages that are before us tonight and Lord, let there be application in our own lives. 
as we learn not so much about the nation of Israel in the sense of what they were doing at this time, but learn of the prophetic word that you spoke over this nation through a prophet named Balaam. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Numbers 22, I titled this section, The Permissive Will of God. And verse 35 is kind of the sense of that title because the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. I think I said Barak earlier, Balak. It's an L, not an R. So the children of Israel moved, verse 1, and camped in the plains of Moab on the east side of the Jordan across from Jericho. So that is staging area. They're going to cross the Jordan River in just a few months, enter into the promised land, and eventually take the city of Jericho, which we'll get to when we get to the book of Joshua, but we have to finish Numbers and Deuteronomy first. So Moses has a lot of work here ahead of him in just a few months to prepare the children of Israel to enter into the promised land. But they are there. They're just on the outskirts of it now. They're actually staging themselves for their entry into the promised land. Verse 2, now Balak, the son of Ziphor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because there were many. So Moab was sick and with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Ziphor, the king of the Moabites at that time, then sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pithor, which is near the river, again, the river, meaning the Euphrates River, in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of the Midianites departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke the word, spoke to him the words of Balak. So Balaam is an interesting prophet in Scripture because he's a pagan prophet, Uh, They talk about him tonight. We'll read of him using sorcery. So not the prophet of God that we have grown accustomed to up to this point or will grow accustomed to in the days of uh, the judges and the days of the kings and that of first and second Samuel. But archaeological evidence has indicated that Balaam was a highly regarded prophet that was mentioned some 500 years after his death. And so the king of the Moabites here understood that this of Balaam, I know that he 
Whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you cursed is cursed. So what makes Balaam so interesting is that this pagan prophet heard the very words of God and was even confronted by the angel of the Lord. Now, it's not just here that we read about Balaam in Scripture. He's actually mentioned several other times. And so I'll read a few of those as we go along. First, from Joshua 24, 9 and 10. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hands. So Balak's words, I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed would actually confirm the word of God that God had spoke to Abraham over 600 plus years earlier in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, when the Lord called Abraham up and said, now get up out of your country from your family, from your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God's blessing was upon Israel. Therefore, Balaam would ultimately confirm to the king of Moab that God was for Israel. This was his chosen people. And yet this would not stop Balak from coming against Israel. He would still come against them. So 8 through 14, God responded to Balaam that he should not go. So Balaam said to them, lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. And so the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go to you. And the princes of Moab arose and went to Balak and said to him, Balaam refuses to come with us. So as I said, they went to the river, a pretty far distance from Israel and uh, so now we have them going back and forth and they'll go back they'll return to Balaam but the Lord's words to Balaam that should have ended the story he said that God said I can't go with you guys so that's the end of it they left but we discover that Balaam tried to do a work around the will of God he tried to get his own way in this situation because, well, he was a prophet for hire. First Timothy 5.18, although it does tell us that a laborer is worthy of his wage, 
unlike the disciples whom Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, we've recently studied this on Sunday, freely you receive, freely give, it appears that Balaam had grown accustomed to receiving the unrighteous wages. In Nehemiah 13, 1 through 3, Nehemiah reminds the people of his day of this, this situation, saying on that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into blessing. So it was when they heard this, the they there is the people of Israel in Nehemiah's day. When they heard this, they separated themselves from the mixed multitude from Israel. So this is going to, um, Balaam's name is mentioned three times in the New Testament, but as I've already read uh, several times in the Old Testament, it, it, it's a history lesson for the children of Israel that they should not forget their history. Then Balak, verses 15 through 21, sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. So he upped the ante here, verse 16. They came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come and call you, arise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam arose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. So after Balaam refused to go with the men the first time, the king sent more numerous, more honorable princes to him to persuade him to come. Some have wondered that Balaam's saying these words, though Balak give me his house full of silver and gold, was his way of kind of bartering his wages there. It's going to cost you if I come. It's like a houseload of silver and gold. That's what it's going to cost you. Balaam knew the will of God over this matter. And yet again, he sought the Lord to see if the Lord had perhaps changed his mind. And he did give him permission to go, but only to speak the words that the Lord would give him. Perhaps Balaam went with them by the permissive will of God. This was not God's best for him, but his actions would bring ultimately harm to the children of Israel and ultimately to his own life. One of the mentions of Balaam in the New Testament is found in 2 Peter 2.15, where Peter wrote, And they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of the unrighteous. So his heart, though he spoke with the Lord God, his heart was not pure. 
So it was. He's on his way, 22 through 35, and that God's anger was aroused against him because he went. It's like, wait a minute, Lord, you told him to go. And now you're mad that he went. See, I, I believe that it's Balaam trying to get around in the permissive will of God, but this is not God's best for him. So God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood and took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and two of his servants was with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the, struck the donkey and turned her back to the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord pushed herself against the wall, crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he struck her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord and she laid down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused. He struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me. I wish that there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. It's pretty amazing. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And bowed, he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. So this tells us that his heart was not right. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now. Let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. And then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with these men, but only the words that I speak to you, you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. So Balaam, although he went with the man, his donkey behaving strangely in this situation, uh, going out of the way, crushing his foot against the wall, and finally just simply laying down that he would go no further, and Balaam striking him those three times, actually a her, as Scripture has it, and uh, even desired to kill her. And yet he didn't know that the angel of the Lord has stood in the path before him. He even argued with the donkey, as the donkey uh, spoke wisdom to Balaam, and he argued with him. It didn't seem to shock him too much that he had this argument with him. But when he saw the angel of the Lord, when God opened his eyes, see later, 
in chapter 24, Balaam will talk about his eyes being opened wide. But right now, his eyes were not opened wide. He was not seeing the things of the Lord. And the Lord was angry toward him because his heart was perverse. It was going astray. God knew his heart. He had become blinded. His heart was hardened. Like in John 12:39 through 40. Therefore saying, they could not believe because Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their ears, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so I should heal them. So his heart was all in the wrong place. Even when he went and even afterwards, we will discover that Balaam's heart never got right with God. And it would ultimately cost him his life. But once again, he said, I'll go back if you want me to. And he goes, no, go with the men. But a second warning, only speak the words that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So even though God knew Balaam's way was perverse before him, he had a different agenda than God's. God allowed him to continue on the path. Again, in the New Testament, Jude 11 says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So uh, three situations, Cain, Balaam, and Korah mentioned in Jude 11, but greed was at the heart of Balaam. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming. He went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of Arnon in the boundary of the territory, verse 37. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send to you and call for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Look, I'll pay. I just wanted you to come. And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I've come to you now. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirjath Huzeth. And Balak offered oxen and sheep and sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was on the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up on a high place, the high places of Baal. And there they might observe the extent of the people. So before we move on to chapter 23 and 24, just three things I'd like to point out to you. I kind of see this as Balaam going with the princes of Moab as God's permissive will. Initially, God said, you shouldn't go with them. He sent them on their way. That should have been the end of it. But they came back and they kept pestering him. And they were offering great wealth to him. And I believe this is a great example of God's permissive will. He will often allow us to proceed in a direction that really isn't the best for us and not the best for our family or for others. So when we say your will be done, we need to be sure that that is what we really mean. 
And it's not that we are saying, my will be done. Second, and God often uses people as well as circumstances, even a donkey, to try to guide us back to the path, the right path. When things get difficult in this life, sometimes we need to be open to God's direction over our life in the sense of maybe things are difficult because we haven't been walking in obedience to the will of God. And we need to uh, have our spiritual eyes open, our spiritual ears open that we can hear in the course that God would have for us that we would be operating under God's direct will, not his permissive will. And finally, just an observation. Balaam, when he bowed down, he fell on the face before the angel of the Lord. Now this is capitalized in the King James, the New King James Bible, angel and Lord here. So Lord would have most likely been capitalized anyways. But the capitalization of the A in angels, angel tells us that this is God. This is what some have called a Christophany, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus. And they would say that because like John, when he receives the revelation, when he's on the Isle of Patmos, and a messenger comes to him and he falls on his face, and this is just a messenger of the Lord. The messenger tells John to stand up. I'm just a servant like you. But here, the angel of the Lord did not tell Balaam to stand up. So he was standing before the Lord or kneeling or on his face before the Lord in this situation. So 24 and 20, 23 and 24, I put these together. I uh, technically only had two points in this message. The first point, we were looking at God's permissive will in Numbers 22. And here, uh, Balaam's prophecies over Israel in Numbers 23 and 24, because he lays out four prophetic words spoken over the nation of Israel. And then in the fourth prophecy also mentions other nations as well. But here we have one of the key passages. We learn a little bit about the nature of God in Numbers 23, 19 and 20, that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make? Make it good. Behold, I have received a command to bless, and he has blessed. I cannot reverse it. So God is not like man. And Balaam has already said that the children of Israel are blessed of God. I cannot go against the word of God here. And yet Balak continues to try to get him to curse the people. So one of the hard things for us to understand is the nature of God. Many times we make the mistake of comparing God's nature to ours. And in 23, chapter 23, we learn in verse 19 that God is not like us. He does not lie. Uh, therefore, it's not necessary for him to repent. When he speaks, his words become reality. And those whom he blessed, they will be blessed. And they cannot be cursed. Those whom he cursed, they will be cursed. 
So the first prophecy, verses 1 through 12, Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam said. And Balak and Balaam offered the bull and a ram on each altar. And Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come and meet with me. Whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height, and God met Balaam and said to him, I've prepared, so Balaam saying to God, I've prepared seven altars, and I have offered up on each altar a bull and a ram. And then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said to him, Return to Balak. And thus you shall speak. So he returned to him. And there he was, standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle and said to him, So now he's, uh, Balaam's going to prophesy, give the prophecy to Balak. Balak, the king of Moab, has bought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come and curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed. How shall I denounce whom God, the Lord, has not denounced? And from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him there, a people dwelling alone and reckoning themselves among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, what is this that you have done to me? I took you to curse my enemy, and look, you have blessed him bountifully. And so he answered and said, Must I not heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? So he's up on this high place, the high places of the Baals. We learn that in chapter 20, verse 41. To get a good overview of the children of Israel there, we can assume, in the valley floor, across from the Jordan River, across from Jericho. They built seven altars, and on each altar a bull and a ram was offered. Now there's no other place in Scripture where we see the building of seven altars like this. So this is unique. This is something that perhaps Balaam did. Maybe it's a pagan ritual. Maybe, my suggestion, I didn't read this anywhere, but... Um, they keep talking about the princes of Moab. So it was an altar for the king and perhaps six other altars for the princes of Moab. I don't know. But there was seven. They offered their sacrifices. And Balaam told Barak to stand there by the burnt offerings as he went up higher to meet with the Lord. And as he met with the Lord, the Lord gave him a word and he came back. And he gave the word to Balak. And so he said in verse 9, From the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. So what or who did Balaam see and behold? Well, a nation separated unto God. In Leviticus 20, verse 24 the Lord speaking, saying, I've said to you, you shall inherit their land 
I will give it to you as a possession, a land with milk, flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord who has separated you from the peoples. So he saw Israel as a unique nation that belonged to God. In the second prophecy, verses 13 through 26, this prophecy here stresses that God's word, his promises to Abraham cannot be altered. So Balak, the king of Moab, said, Please come with me to another place from which we may see them. You shall only see the outer part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me from there. So he devised a plot to take the prophet to a place where he could only see a portion of the children of Israel, only curse, only curse the outer portion of Israel at least the whole nation then won't be blessed. And so he brought him to the field of Zophim on the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each one. So the same pattern is repeated again. The seven altars, the seven bulls, and seven rams. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet with the Lord over there. So uh, once again, told him to stay by the burnt offering. He went over and separated himself that he might hear from the word of the Lord. Verse 16, when the Lord met with Balaam, put a word in his mouth, and he said, go back to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, what is it that the Lord has spoken? And he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord is his God. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of the king is among them. God, bring them out of Egypt. He has strengthened them like a wild ox. And there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It must be said of Jacob and Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, all people rise like the lioness and lift up his, itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. Just stay neutral then. And Balaam answered to Balak, Did I not tell you all that the Lord speaks that I must do? So the second prophecy, the king of Moab thinks a different place, different vantage point. Maybe God will change his mind and he's reminded in verse 19 that God is not like man. He does not relent. He does not change. That God has blessed Israel. What I love about this section is verse 21 where it says that God has not observed iniquity in Jacob nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Now, Jacob and Israel, talking about the children of Israel, there was wickedness, there was iniquity, but God was not 
putting this to their accounts. It reminded me much of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives when in Romans 8.1, Paul says, There is there, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God was not going to curse, was not going to condemn Israel. And there was nothing that the king of Moab or Balaam the prophet could do to change his mind. So Balaam looked and saw also a shout of the king that God would be glorified through the nation of Israel and ultimately our king, our savior, Jesus Christ. They would actually shout for the Lord on the day that he came into Jerusalem singing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In John 12, 15, and the people saying, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So he's beginning now to not only see God's blessing upon the children of Israel in these first two prophecies, but there's something more here. God is going to bless the whole world through the work of this nation. The third prophecy takes us from Numbers 23, verse 27, through Numbers 24, verse 14. So kind of a bad chapter break here, but chapters were not inspired. And they were added to help us get around our Bibles. And sometimes the breaks don't quite make sense. This is one of them. It seemed to be divided in a poor spot. So picking up in Numbers 23, verse 27, Then Balak said to Balaam, Please come, and I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So the Lord just told him, I'm not man. I don't change my mind. I don't relent. I don't lie. And yet, Balak continues on. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor and looked over, looked the wasteland. And Balaam said to Balak, build here seven altars, prepare for me the seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did to, as Balaam had said to him and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Chapter 24, verse 1. Then when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go up as other times to seek to use sorcery. But he set his face toward the wilderness. So he, he changed his method here. And the Lord is just flat out speaking through him at this point. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the word of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with his eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloe planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag and his kingdom shall be exalted. And God brings him out of Egypt. He has strengthened him like a wild ox. 
He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. His bow, he bows down, not bow. He bows down, he lies down like as a lion. As a lion, who shall arouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Then Balak's anger arose against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemy, and look, you have blessed him bountifully these three times. Therefore flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact the Lord has kept you back from honor. So Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messengers who you sent to me, saying, If Balak were to give me, Hint, hint, give me his house full of silver and gold. I could not go beyond the words of the Lord. And to do good or bad of my own will, what the Lord says I must speak. Now indeed I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So here in the third and fourth prophecies, there's a change in Balaam, how he received the word of the Lord. Here, Uh, He didn't use sorcery as he had done before. Whatever that method was, now his eyes are spiritually in tune. His ears spiritually open to the things of God. But also, along with God's great blessing among Israel, Balaam looked through time to see future kings. He mentioned Agag, uh, the king of the Amalekites. He was actually the first king... Uh, when King Saul, Israel's first king, King Saul came against Agai to destroy him, according to the word of the Lord, he was disobedient. His kingdom would be stripped from him because of this disobedience. But he's looking now prophetically in the future, seeing future enemies of Israel as well. Third, this prophecy Uh, closes with a portion of the Abrahamic blessing. We've already read Genesis 12:3, but that blessing, blessed is he who blesses you, cursed is he who curses you. And that's how the prophecy ends. Um, so tying it to the Abrahamic blessing that came some 600 plus years earlier. And finally, unless we think Balaam is all in for Israel, Remember, he's a prophet for hire. Um, He wanted those wages. He said in verse 14, I will advise you on what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And it appears by the word of the Lord, and I'm not just trying to make this up, but Balaam taught Balak how to get God. He couldn't curse Israel. God wouldn't allow it. But he could get God to come against Israel because of their disobedience. As the Lord said in Revelation 2.14, there when he's speaking, Revelation 2, verse 14, Speaking to the church of Pergamos, 
the compromised church. He says, I have a few things against you. (coughs) I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. We're going to read about that when we get to chapter 25. Not that Balaam taught him to do this. We'll just read about the end results of that and how God would come against Israel and strike them and thousands would die. But the idea came from this prophet for hire. And ultimately, we'll learn that this prophet would die with Moab. And so he is not, he might be speaking blessings over Israel, but he is not a prophet of God in the sense of um, being on the side of Israel. And so he actually teaches the Moabites how they could get a stumbling block before the children of Israel to get them to eat things sacrificed to idols to commit sexual immorality. And the final prophecy in Numbers 15 through 25, Israel's promised blessing to dwell in the promised land, we find there's also words spoken out against several other nations in this prophecy as well. So he took up his oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the word of God and has knowledge of the Most High, who sees vision of the Almighty and falls down with eyes wide open. I see him. Verse 17, this is like, start in your Bible, underline it if you don't have it underlined already, because this is the prophecy of Jesus Christ. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise up out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab. Uh-oh, he's not supposed to say that. He's supposed to be cursing Israel. But Israel's going to batter the brow of Moab and destroy the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession, and Sire also his enemies, and shall be a possession while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob, one will have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. And then he looked in Amalek, and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he took and looked at the Kenites, and took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rocks. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long will Usher carry you away captive. And he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who will live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher and Eber. And so Amalek, until it perishes. And so Balaam arose and departed and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. So the fourth prophecy not only the fourth prophecy that he spoke over the children of Israel, which uh, perhaps verse 17, the greatest of all the words that he spoke regarding Israel, because he spoke concerning Jesus Christ there. He also spoke prophecy against Moab, Edom, Seir, Amalek, the Kenites, 
Greece, as he said, the, the ships coming from the coast of Cyprus, that would be Greece. They shall, affix, they shall afflict Asher, that would be Assyria. They shall afflict Eber, that would be Babylon. And then he mentions Amalek once again there. So there were several words that he spoke against other nations. And, and really interesting that he connects Greece, Assyria, and Babylon. These are all future enemies of Israel, but hundreds of years in the future. And yet Balaam, with his eyes wide open, his ears attuned to the things of God, looks and sees some of the future of Israel itself. So verse 17 that star, the scepter. He said, I see him, but not now. So first, Balaam understood that the Messiah's coming was not for his day, nor in the near future. But God allowed him to look down through centuries to see the Messiah's coming. Second, this is the only place in the Old Testament where Jesus is described as a star. A star shall come out of Jacob. By coming out of Jacob, that is, you know, connecting it to the nation of Israel, that Jesus was a descendant of the nation of Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, through the tribe of Judah, ultimately David, and then King Jesus. The only other time Jesus is referred to as a star, he declares this about himself to John in the book of Revelation. Revelation 22:16, saying to John, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you the things of the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and the morning star. Third, the scepter rising out of Israel foretold that the Messiah was coming from the nation of Israel as the Lord spoke through Jacob many years earlier. In Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Have you ever wondered why the Magi knew of the star when they came to worship Jesus? They saw the star from the east, and they knew that it pointed to the king of the Jews. Well, they could have gotten their information from a pagan prophet named Balaam. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Father, uh, just... uh, Interesting portion of scripture that this prophet who used sorcery was not of the nation of Israel and not every prophet has to be of the nation of Israel. I understand that, but he is so unique in the Old Testament and his heart wasn't pure. The New Testament speaks of the error of Balaam and the Bible speaks of the perverseness of his heart his using sorcery and divination. And yet, from the four prophecies 
came perhaps, Lord, the greatest of these. Chapter 24, verse 17, that speaks of Jesus as the star and the scepter. Lord, let us not be like Balaam who had an agenda. He was greedy for gain. And so even though you told him not to go with the men, he still wanted to go. He still plotted and he got his way. And it seems, Lord, that by your permissive will, he was allowed to go. But it wasn't your best for his life. And ultimately, though we won't read it here, ultimately, he would die alongside Moab when Israel battled against this country. So ultimately, Lord, it cost him his life. Help us, Lord, not to function in your permissive will, but your direct will for our lives. Help us, Lord, not to be blind to your truth like Balaam was when he couldn't see the angel and the danger that stood before him. He was blind to the angel of the Lord that even his donkey could perceive and see. Help us to have eyes that are wide open and ears that are attuned to you that you might guide our peace, our feet in our lives in these days that we find ourselves in. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Well, we have a church this coming Sunday. We continue lesson 41 in the chronological journey through the Gospels. And uh, largely going to be studying about the beheading of John the Baptist. That's where scripture is going to bring us this coming week. And uh, just pray that it will be a blessing to us as we go through God's word this coming Sunday with our brothers and sisters. I pray that God would bless you and that he would keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.